I was uh, e equally as thanks guys. I was equally as stoked when I found out I was coming here just because I had so many connections to Baton Rouge, uh, Adam being one of them. So yeah, a dear friend of mine. Um, so yeah, let's just start in a quick prayer. In the, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we beg that you anoint this space tonight, that you enter into our hearts, that you knit our hearts to yours, to your most sacred heart, and that we can receive your friendship in the Trinity and receive your friendship in and through one another. <clears throat> we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Community college for me was incredible. I loved, I loved community college. Uh, not something a lot of folks in community college uh, can say, uh, but I was so blessed by the Lord to graduate with five other dudes who didn't know what they wanted to do either. So we had a lot in common, meaning we lived at home with our parents and we went to community college. So, so uh, and. and of uh, all of the guys in that, that little group of like six or seven of us, I would consider them all friends now, actually. Uh, one of which I still consider uh, a very dear friend of mine, one of my best friends. Um, but when I, when I look back to community college, um, when I look back at the kind of conversations that I had with those guys and the things that we did in our relationships, and I walk away and I take a step back to look at it, I realize like I didn't really like have like conversations with them and, and, and have these shared experiences with them that made me want to be like better. Like I think we, we know what that, that feels like. We have those conversations sometimes they are like deeply like moved, like profound, like wow, like that person has something that I really want. Like that person is incredible and I want to be like that too. In a really good, not an envious way. Um, kind of like when Father Andrew and Father Reuben like dropped a mic on their homilies, like you like you hear what they say, and you're just like, well, something in you is like convicted and moved to do something, like to to be something. Um, and so I I transferred to the University of Texas my uh, my junior year, and at the at the time it was a really kind of dark time in my life. I had just gotten out of a really toxic relationship, and and I spent the summer between community college and UT really trying to seek happiness in a lot of places that didn't like fulfill that, that gaping hole inside my heart. And so when I got to UT, I decided to go, uh, to start going to mass at the, uh, the Catholic Center there. And one day after mass, I met Jeffrey. Um, Jeffrey, I talked to him for like 10 minutes maybe. Uh, not this, any deeply profound conversation with him, but he ended up getting my number. And as I walked away, I realized, I was like, that guy has something that I want. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I, I think I knew what it was, but like I didn't want to admit what it was. Um, but I was like, I want to be around him because something in me is convicted and moved by his joy. And so I started to form this great friendship with him. A couple weeks later, I met Mark. Um, Mark was like, he was a year older than me, so he's a senior, and uh, he's like your varsity like athlete in high school who's like the defensive captain of the football team at this really big high school football program in Texas. Um, and he was so passionate about 
every, I remember, I remember going on a retreat with him within a week or two of meeting him and realizing, this dude's like intense, like, like I feel kind of on edge sometimes around him. But, but I started to form a friendship with him and like everything we did, he was just like, like it would lead to like these really great conversations that like sometimes we didn't talk about anything and I was just like, this is incredible. And sometimes we talked about some of the most meaningful things in our life and it was incredible. Sometimes like we just go, go out to eat, we go work out. He loved working out. It was bulking season. He made, he, made sure, he made sure to let me know that actually it's always bulking season. And so he hit it hard in the gym. And even the way he worked out was like super passionate. I was just, again, like, like I was like struggling with like my 25s. He's pushing two plates and he's like, like I see that. And I'm like, ah, yes, I want more. Like the way this man lived his life, like I was just so moved. These, these two guys I consider to be two of my, two of my very best friends and that God willing, you know, one day they'll be the ones standing next to me in my wedding um, if I get married. Not really sure about that because both of those guys are now Brother Juan Macias with the Dominicans and Jeffrey Calvert, second year seminary at SJV. So I don't really know what the Lord's trying to tell me with that. <laughs> but like the, those friendships made me want to be better. It made me want to be better. And the reason they made me want to be better is because those two men their goal was to be made into Christ Jesus and to dwell within the community of the Trinity for eternity. Jesus' entire life, his entire life, all the scriptures in his very nature speaks and reveals to us this profound truth that the lens to which the story of salvation must occur is within the context of the communal life. It has to happen within three people. Jesus' very nature, God in three persons, a community. Jesus here on this earth, God and the apostles, a community. Like it has to happen. And so I want to take a, take a look back in scripture as to how we have these deep and profound friendships because I really truly believe like it was, it was many, it was Jesus Christ and his divinity, but it was the very friendships that he had, which is the reason why the world was changed. And I believe that our friendships have that same capacity and potential to really, truly, honestly change the entire world. So going back into scripture, I want to I look back. At the, these intimate friendships start with uh, David and Goliath. Um, those two weren't particularly, like, really close friends. Um, David embedded a stone in his head. He said, not today. Cut his head off. But what's important about that event is that David was anointed by God. And, and there was two people, two really important people watching this happen. There was Saul, who was the king of Israel. He was the king of the 12 tribes. And then there was Jonathan, his son. And both of them were moved by what happened, something that he had and did, again, inspired and convicted them to want to do something. So Saul knew that David was going to be great, and he almost felt threatened by that. But Jonathan, in the very chapter after, in the very chapter after David slays Goliath, approaches David and starts this intimate and profound friendship with him. So much so that it says that their very hearts were knit together and that they entered into a covenant with one another. The word covenant is super important. I know many of us might know what that is, but I just want to clarify. There's a big difference between a covenant and a contract. And I think society's trying to sell, like, sell us this idea that friendship is contractual, that it's this exchange of things we do for one another to get something out. It's a, it's a matter of, like, what we get out of it instead of, like, what we're giving. Whereas a covenant is a very gift of self. It is saying, my everything is yours. 
So Dave, like David and Jonathan, like imagine this, they like shared life together. Like they probably contemplated the kingdom and like, like what great things they were gonna do. They like did their chores together. They probably talked about what girls they thought were cute. Like, I mean, we look at David, like he had a thing for women. So, <laughs> but, but, but really, they shared, their, they shared life together. And at one point in their relationship, the, the kingdom starts to realize how great and how anointed David really is. And so Saul, Jonathan's dad, is threatened by this. So Jonathan's stuck in a really weird predicament. His dad wants to kill his best friend. And so in that covenant, in that covenantal relationship with his best friend, David, he protects him. He disobeys his father, and he secretly tells him of Saul's plans to kill him. And David, eventually, after Saul dies, is made king. And we see later on in David's life, after Jonathan had long passed, their friendship, their covenant that they made with one another stood the test of time. Because David is approached by one of Jonathan's former servants. And David tells him, and tells him that him and all the descendants of Jonathan have a seat at his table in the kingdom. They have a seat at his table in the kingdom. This covenantal friendship, relationship that David and Jonathan have prefigured the kind of friendship and relationship Jesus desires to have with us. So fast forward, I don't know how much time, ask a priest. Um, it's the Last Supper. Jesus, sitting with the original OGs, with, with the original boy band, sitting there, sharing life and sharing bread with them. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? But then later on in the chapter, John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you a servant, but I call you a friend. And everything that the Father has made known to me, I have made known to you. This is exactly what David and Jonathan did. Jonathan had actually made known to David everything that his earthly father, granted, much different, but you get the idea. He made known to David everything that his father was planning. And David, in love for Jonathan and all who came after Jonathan, said that you have a seat at my table, and that is the same promise that Jesus Christ makes to us. I will, I will reveal to you all that the Father has made known to me, and you will have a seat at my table in the kingdom. In the kingdom. This this is the invitation into the, to the communal life of the Trinity, which if we want to have these profound friendships that inspires generations to come, we have to live within. This is the first community that is a must, that we must live in. We must live with God the Father. We must have a relationship with God the Son, and we must be moved and move in and through God and the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is the original communal life. So he's sitting there, and he's sharing this with the apostles. Of all of the things that Jesus could have done in, in saving the world, he invested himself into this community, this 12, to show us how it's done. So we have, we have the apostles. So how did they do it? Like, how did they have these deep, abiding friendships that led to, like, the conversion of millions of people? Um, I think there's, it's a few, there's a few things that are important to note. Um, one, they, they lived in, in the communal life with the Trinity. They received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And they, they had that relationship with the Father through the Son. They lived in that first. Another thing to note that's really important is that if you look into Scripture, there's not a whole lot of dialogue that happens between 
the apostles. I know because I looked and I was like, when I signed up for this talk, I was like, yeah, let's talk about friendship and the apostles. And then I was like, wait, how are they friends? <laughs> but like, there's, they don't talk about like, you know, like what they talked about. They don't tell us like what they did for their like secret handshakes. Like we don't know any of that. But there are many events that happen actually that point to a deeper reality that must have existed, that must have existed. Um, and then another thing to note real quick before we talk about yeah, like what the apostles explicitly did is that any time that they were together, great and profound things happened. Any time that, every time that they were together, great and profound things happened. So we have to be together. So the three things they did. The first thing they did was that they lived joyfully with one another. They shared their very joys. They shared all the sorrows that they had with the community that they were in. In Acts 2, after Peter gives a bomb speech and cuts everyone at the heart with this conviction for God, and then talk about the, the, the necessary foundations of the church, one of which being fellowship, it says that the community that they partook of the food with glad and generous hearts and praising God, having favor with all the people. They shared joy. They shared life. They shared the very things that made them move with one another. The second thing they did is that they loved each other through um, contention. They had, they, they had crucial conversations. They had the conversations that needed to happen even though they were hard. Um, an, an example of this in, in Acts of the Apostles is between Paul and Barnabas. Um, Paul and Barnabas did some really great stuff together, but at one point in Acts chapter 15, it says they met at a sharp contention, which means they fought. Sharp contention. And in this contention, they decided to go separate ways. Like, they were so angry with one another, but, like, they were both convicted of what they wanted to do. But at the end of that chapter, it says that the, they, they commended each other by the grace of God. They sent them forth by the grace of God. They loved each other enough to have that conversation, to walk away, and to still love the other in and through Jesus Christ and their ministry. And the last thing they did, they lived joyfully. They met, they met contention head on with Jesus, and they died together. They died together. James and Peter, I don't know if there's any dialogue that I've read in Scripture. It might exist. Again, ask a priest, but for someone who would know more than I do. But there's no specific dialogue that they have. But in Acts chapter 12, um, Peter and James are together when James is actually um, killed by the sword by Herod. Peter is with James at his death. And the, the crowd... The people who were there were so roused and, like, amused by this that they threw Peter into prison. And this is the same night where an angel appears unto Peter and is there to free him from that prison. Now, Peter could have done one of two things. He could have sat there and he could have mourned, and he would have had probably every reason to do that. Because James, he had just spent years of his life spending every day with him. It was his best friend. But he did, he did the other thing. He responded with courage and brave heart to honor his brother James. He walked out of that prison and he went and he shared the gospel and the good news with every person he met from there on out. And he went and he died for Jesus and for James and for his brothers. This is what we're called to do in our friendships. Um, the, these three things, to live joyfully, to love each other through contention, and to, to die together. Um, 
before I talk about, I guess, the practice, it's important, again, this note. It is a mystery. There is no rules for how to be friends with one another. But that is why we have to invite Jesus into our friendships to show us how to be friends with one another in a way that will convict the entire world that Jesus Christ is Lord. I had this beautiful conversation uh, the, other, the other night at Bible study, and uh, Peyton, Peyton had, had said something. He had said something that was like, like I, I'd heard this before, but it was like, it just moved my heart. He goes, Shane, like, looking at, like, at our friendship, he's all cool about it. Looking at our friendship, he's like, you know, like, I don't think it's just between us two. I was like, yeah? He's like, yeah, like, I think it's between, like, you know, me, like, you and, and Jesus. Like, it has, to, it has to be that way. I was like, yeah, yeah, oh, my gosh, yes. This is, this is, this is what it has to be. Kerewatia, before he came, Pope John Paul II, um, wrote um, in Gaudium et Spes, the man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. We have to approach all of our friendships with this disposition. We have to walk in and say, I'm yours and you are mine. Like we have to give of ourselves. So the first, the first thing, we live joyfully. We share our life with one another. I am blessed to be on an incredible staff and team um, within Christ the King and within my, my focus team. Um, and particularly with, like, the four other missionaries that I live life alongside, I, I share everything with them. They knew everything. This might come as a shock. I was the first to cry on the team in front of them. And, like, they were there to receive that. <laughs> and I, I was, like, humiliated. I was like, oh, I don't want to cry. Get back in there, tear. But <laughs> they, they saw this. And it was in a moment where I, I didn't want to be here because my family was going through some stuff in Houston and a lot of my friends were going through some stuff. And it was really hard to be here. But they loved me through that. I ripped my heart out of my freaking chest and I gave it to them. And they've done the same exact thing to me, for me, with me. They've been vulnerable. We share joys. We, some, like, honestly, like, we'll sit together and we'll talk about nothing and it's incredible. We'll go play putt-putt, we'll do things. Like, these, these things, like, these, these shared experience, we have to have shared experiences. We have to have many of them, and we have to live life alongside each other. The second thing we have to do is we have to love each other enough to contention. We have to address the things that need to be addressed, and we need to love each other enough to have those really hard but important conversations. I had a very small example of this. I had this beautiful conversation. I was in the coffee shop actually last week, and uh, Michael Stewart, um, for those of you who know him, he's really funny. Um, and he says... Like, so me and him, like, kind of, like, make a lot of smart remarks towards one another. <laughs> and, uh, like, yeah, it, it's funny. Um, but he said something, and I was, like, I just, I, I wasn't even thinking to, like, say anything smart back. And I was just kind of, like, nice or whatever to him. And he goes, dude, why are you acting so different? And I was, like, what do you mean? He's, like, you're being all kind and stuff. <laughs> and I was, like, you know, Michael, I've, I've really been praying about this. And I hate, I, like, I hate that we do that. Like, I hate, I don't hate that. I didn't say I hate that. But I was like, I think that, like, the fact that we're deprecative towards one another in, in a light humor is really low-hanging fruit, actually. That, like, we're not really striving to make each other better. We're just tearing each other down at the expense of a laugh. And, like, of course, like, 
We'll still, we'll still do that every now and then because Michael is Michael and I am me. But I told him, I was like, I want to love you enough to like, yeah, will for you to be a saint. And I don't think that, I mean, it might entail a little bit of, you know, funny humor, but like when it comes down to it, like that's not fulfilling me. That's not leading me to Jesus Christ. And he goes, you know, Shane, I want you to hold me accountable to that, but I'm going to hold you accountable to that too. I was like, yeah, please do. He had the humility to receive that from me. And it spoke Jesus Christ into my life. And he loved me in and through that. And I was able to love him in and through that. And we need to do that with the bigger situations in life too. Those things that are really hard. We have to love each other enough to share truth as well. We have to share mercy, but we have to share truth. Um, And the third thing we have to do, we have to die together. We have to die together. Granted, for, for us in America, like that doesn't look like, at least right now, that doesn't look like us like, literally dying for our faith and being martyred. But I think it's important to note that the church, while not outwardly being persecuted, is being persecuted in so many different ways. It's being persecuted at its very core. There are, there are two ages. I might have the theology philosophy wrong, so Father will correct me if he needs to. But there's, like, the, there's the apostolic age, when the church is under persecution and the, the, the church and the Lord is raising up saints who are going to be martyred. And then there's the age of Christendom when, when Christianity and Jesus Christ is widely accepted and believed in. Um, and like we can look at like, you know, like the, for example, that would be like when, when Constantinople made Christianity the official faith and religion of the Roman Empire. And like I do, I, I like we believe. I believe that we like lived in an age in Christendom for a while, but I don't believe that Jesus Christ is like the widely accepted belief across not just America but the entire world. I th- I, I I do believe, and in some ways, we are on the we are on the cusp of a new apostolic age. And the reason I say this is because the very core unit of the church is being persecuted to no end, and it is the family which is where friendships are taught and learned. It is the family. And it started with the sexual revolution when we started, like, misconstruing this idea of, like, who we are, our very philosophy and our very nature. And we started stripping sex of all of its meaning and goodness. And we, we, we lost the sight of what life truly is, like that it is God-given and starts at conception, right? And so we, the, the society has started to try and redefine what life is. And that, over the years, has influenced this, this culture of use where pornography has creeped in. And, and ultimately, we're at a point where not just like our relationships, like with like significant others are about use, but like our friendships are about that. And, the, and, and now, marriages are being redefined. Society is trying to tell us that marriage isn't just between a man and a woman. Like, there are so many different things about the family that is being hit at from every different direction. But the beauty of that the beauty of that is that God always raises up saints. He always raises up saints in a direct response to the heresies and the evils of the time. If we look at the Protestant Reformation, well, not at least on the surface, inherently evil, like stripped, divided our church. And so the Lord spoke to Ignatius of Loyola. He said, I want you to go make saints. And so he went and he lived with Peter Faber and Francis Xavier all in college together. And they, at different points, they did not like each other. 
but they were friends. They became friends, and they became saints, which resulted in one of the greatest orders ever being founded on this earth, with millions of souls being converted because of it. We have St. John Paul II, who, while the sexual revolution was really starting to pick up, was writing maybe one of the most beautiful masterpieces ever to be, to be written in his theology of the body, to tell us and to, to teach us what true life is meant to be. We have Blessed Mother Teresa, or St. Saint, Saint Mother Teresa, who is, through her very life and through her ministry with the poor, taught us what life was and what it is. Saints, saints are never found, never found alone. They're always found in pockets. They're always found amidst holy, many holy individuals. I'm very excited and I have a lot of hope for the future because guess what? If the family is under persecution and our idea, of society's idea of friendship is being contorted and misconstrued, how great the many saints that will be raised up to teach us what friendship and what family is supposed to be like. And that is the opportunity for you guys, for us. We have the chance to change the world. We have the chance to be saints, to show people what it means to be friends, to live in the communal life of the Trinity, and to share that joy that radiates from coming and knowing Jesus Christ. Like, we can be saints. If we want all of our ministries, if we want awakening to be great, if we want the retreats to go on to be great, we have to be friends. The degree to which our friendships embody Jesus Christ is the degree to which people will be saved. The degree to which we fail to have good and meaningful friendships and we settle for watered-down politeness in our friendships, souls will be lost but how promising and how great it is that we have the chance to truly, to truly change the world through this beautiful gift that God gives us. I would encourage y'all that tonight, particularly as we wait for Jesus to come in, to just pray in silence of, of like, what, what does your friendship like look like with, with the Lord? And like, what does it mean to dwell within the Trinity? And then tonight, like, as we're, as we're praising as we're praising Jesus in worship and in adoration and in the silence, like just ask the Lord, like, what are you calling me into in, in regards to these friendships that I have? How do you want me to rouse in someone else the idea of being a saint? And how do you want us to live it together? How do you want us to live it together? Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, you are generous and you are good. We praise you for the covenant that you've made with us. Lord, that you do not call us servants, but that you call us friends. And that everything that the Father has, that you make known to us. Knit your sacred heart to ours, Jesus. Tonight, as we adore you, Lord, we ask that you stir in us this desire to love and to be loved by you. And Lord, that that desire, that those